It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 705, that's 705, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today, and I have to admit that it's a topic that combines two passions, sales and soccer. That's right. Joining me as my guest is Peter Loge. Peter's the associate professor at George Washington University. He's a communication strategy consultant and author of a really interesting book titled Soccer Thinking for Management Success. Now, most everyone knows who knows me, listens to the show, or follows me on my emails that I am a huge soccer fan. Go Liverpool. And when I first met Peter and learned about his book, I have to admit I was intrigued because how was, how was success on the soccer field, the soccer pitch, how is that relevant to success in sales and business? And as it turns out, actually quite a bit. Now, Peter's an astute observer of both business and soccer, and he shows in his book how the themes of personal development, collaboration, and problem-solving uh, from soccer are, are mirrored by changes we see in sales and business today. So uh, what we're going to talk about is sort of the state-of-the-art strategies and management techniques used in soccer and what they have to teach you about improving your sales performance. Now, I'm a huge believer that top soccer coaches are extremely good at developing the unique strengths of the individual players, perhaps among professional sports coaches, perhaps unparalleled. And they do this, prepare these people to be the best versions of themselves, but then they have to play within a system. And this is you know, such a contrast to what I see with so many sales leaders today, where it's just all about the process, you need people to comply with the process, and they don't get a chance to really develop the way they should. And a key point we'll, we'll bring out, we'll talk about is that, as Peter points out in his book, is that organizational success in a sales team and a company, it used to look like American football, you know, very much command and control. You know, all the plays were centrally called. And now a successful sales organization, a successful business looks like soccer because it's a fluid system. It changes constantly. You need to be able to solve a problem together collaboratively in real time, much like in sales and in business. All right, so before we get to that, it's time to talk a little bit about the sales house, the sales growth engine for B2B sellers. I'm here to tell you that, that your ability to quickly build productive relationships with prospects and buyers is completely based on how you communicate. And it's these relationships that lead to opportunities and orders. Now, there are four key communication skills that open the door to relationships, whether it's in sales, in business, in life, and they're all the same. Now, in the sales house... One of the core courses I teach teaches you how to use my BALD formula, that's B-A-L-D, to transform how you communicate. And that's an acronym for these four key communication skills. It's all part of my Foundations of Sales Growth Program in the Sales House. So if you want to learn how to effectively communicate with your prospects, how to build relationships and trust that inspires them to do business with you, then you'll want to learn and master the Foundations for Sales Growth just come to the sales house. Come be the best version of yourself. That's the saleshouse.com or the saleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Peter Loge. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be. It's great to be here. So I not all the way through your book, but really enjoying what I've read so far. Soccer thinking for management success, which I'm not sure when you 
reached out to me that you knew I was this, you know, crazy soccer fan. <laughs> so immediately it jumped out. It's like, okay, definitely need to have you on the show. Um, so what was sort of the impetus to, you know, given your background as an academic, uh, you know, media studies and so on, what yeah. was the impetus to write this book? Um, I've actually spent most of my time working in politics, uh, senior positions in the House, the Senate, the Obama administration, lobbying, consulting, that sort of thing. And a good friend of mine, K Street, I am part of the revolving door. All I think right, I'm one of the go. good guys, but everybody thinks they're one of the good guys. <laughs> a friend of mine is Ben Olson, who coaches DC United. And I took over a division of a consulting firm here in town, and Benny was still playing. And I thought, you know, I could use some brushing up on managing, right? I'd never had formal management training. And I called Ben as a player, what do you like in a coach? And he told me, and it was sort of interesting. And I locked that away. I then took over as vice president of external relations for a quasi-governmental agency right about when Ben was leading, playing, and, and starting coaching. Mm-hmm. And whenever we'd get together, we would talk about art. He's a big art guy. He's a painter. Yeah, he's a painter, I know. He's, and, um, and management. And it turns out that a lot of the challenges he was facing were challenges I was also facing. I then brought Ben's insights, frankly, to, to the office, uh, and it seemed to work. The metaphors seemed to resonate, and it kind of went from there. Very interesting. All right. So obviously your your MLS team of choice is DC United. Season ticket holders from day one. Okay. And you enjoy the new the new stadium. Fantastic place to be. Yeah, well, you have to invite me down and I'll come down in New York. I'll come down and we'll watch a match this uh, this year. Would love it. That'd be great. Um Thought I was going to give you a hard time. Your description of DC United <laughs> in the book is a little obsolete now, since you talked about it is, low it budget, is. no no, design, before, no designated before players before Rooney and Canales and, and Ariola. So right. it, um, the lessons hold, but it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm a big Ben Olsen fan. I'm probably boring people listening to this, but he was such a fun player to watch when he played because he played with such intensity. Uh, it's great to see DC United has had patience with him. Yes. Sort of through the ups and downs. Um, and your team in the Premier League? Arsenal. Oh, my sorry. mom is from, I know, I know, I know how you feel about this. My mom is from North London. I'm third generation. I did not have a choice. <sighs> All right. I'm it Liverpool. Is, um, so, you know. They're, they're having a heck of a season. They, they are. It's fun great team to see. To I, watch. Love, I love Jurgen Klopp. It's just the excitement. Just, you know, talk about management styles, right? Which is part of what I'm going to talk about is, is you know, very science based, but also very human. And this is the, you know, brings, this is part of what we talk a lot about in sales is, you know, there's a science to selling, there's a human aspect of selling. It's, you know, how do you bring those things together? For me, the combination of those two really represent the craft, right? You bring the art and the science together, that's the craft. And, and to me, it seems like that's what a lot of good managers and and sports teams do is they're able to blend those two. I think that's right. I think Klopp is exciting and fun to watch on the sidelines, clearly very smart. He makes some really good tactical adjustments in games. He's got really good players, but he also knows where to put them. He doesn't say, figure it out. He says, here's the plan. You're good. I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, and people want to play for him. You know, you, you want to perform for Klopp. You want to feel his energy. So it's not just about getting the best talent. A lot of companies with the best talent don't do well. It's not just about having enthusiasm. We all know a lot of very enthusiastic mm-hmm. people who should probably find another line of work. <laughs> uh, and it's not about having a rigid system. Right. It's this is the way exactly. to do it. It's about mixing it. What talent do I have? How do I build a system that that takes advantage of my talent strengths? How do I help them get better? Then how do I I bring new people into a system I want to develop? And the Liverpool teams under Klopp have gotten better under Klopp 
because he has an idea of where the team is, where it can be, and how to get it there by managing a process. He didn't burn the building down. He didn't fire everybody. Right. And I, I mean, the lessons for business are, and you have a, a quote from Kevin Payne I'll get to in a second, which I thought was a great, a great quote overall, uh, sort of describing this thing. But, but the thing that I think makes successful managers as well as successful in sports as well as in, in business which I think is something that Klopp does. It's something that uh, Bruce Arena, who was previously the coach at DC United and LA Galaxy and the men's national team, obviously, for the U.S., was that, yeah, they have a process. But within that process, you know, there is some freedom. and But the freedom is defined by making sure people are unambiguously clear about what they're supposed to do. And it's not a micromanagement. It's you know by having people be completely clear about what the responsibilities are, you actually then free them up. And, exactly. And this yeah. is the part I think a lot of companies miss is they think that that process means micromanagement. Right. I think one of the, the first advice uh, Ben gave me when he was a player, and he played for a bunch of guys, including including Bruce Arena, both mm-hmm. in the World Cup and for DC United, and also at the University of Virginia. Right. And he's played some, for some managers who are not as successful. So the thing about Arena was he always made it very clear what was expected of you. If you did poorly, he pulled you aside immediately, said that was a mistake. Here's what to do differently next time. If you did something well, he pulled you aside and said that was great. Here's how to do it even better next time. Mm-hmm. Instruction, clear and direct feedback. You know, as a we've all been in the position where we have a boss who says things like write better. <laughs> I, I, what? <laughs> you know, that's like telling a soccer player run faster. I, yeah. Well, yeah. if I could run faster, like I wouldn't be playing for you. It's the specific direction. So for a, if you're in a soccer field, it's two steps to the left, look backwards, talk more, whatever. In, in an office setting or in sales, it's, um, and I think you do a good job of pulling this out of, out of all of your guests, make the human connection, the human connection matters. Mm-hmm. Seen and trusted as a person, nothing else matters. So, if you have somebody working with you or somebody you're consulting who leads with, I've got a great new um, VPN, right? You're going to pull them aside and say, That's true, but you need to talk about the picture on their desk because that's the most important person in their life, right? You'll get to the VPN, but lead with the personal, authentic connection. It's that specificity. It is, it is. And it's this. So let's let's talk let's talk about this I'm connection from, from I'm gonna take a sip from my arsenal glass. <laughs> Your arsenal glass. Yeah, unfortunately I have water, not beer in it. But um, <laughs> so because that is a, a beer glass. So um Yeah, I think we sometimes overdo the connection between sports and business. Right. It's somewhat been cliche. We see all these athletes that make living as motivational speakers and so on. But so I think the connections are pretty tenuous at times, but but I think there are examples that are really good, and and we're sort of at one point we'll hear a contrast between American football and and soccer, but yeah, you, know, you look at American football, you look at the hated Patriots, and, <laughs> and you can't help but admire what they've accomplished, right, and respect what they've accomplished, and and do in large part to. The management style, management philosophy of Bill Belichick, um, and you know he's had a philosophy, but he's also been incredibly flexible and adaptable. Right? Here's a team that, other than Brady, you know, it's almost like name me somebody else who's been on that team that was a star, 
right? Unlike a lot of other teams where they might have three or four or five stars, they've got Brady, right? And he's only successful if everybody else succeeds. Um, yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hardly recognize anybody on the field against the Patriots or against the, the Chiefs this last weekend. I mean, other than having watched a couple of their games you know, during the year, it's like, who are these guys? But every year, he goes and finds players that are not necessarily the top talent. Not that they're untalented because they're obviously able to play at that level, but not the top talent. And he's famous for, again, making sure people, again, are unambiguously clear what the expectations are for them and what their responsibilities are. And then they function together as a unit to make it happen. And I think that's a critical bit is functioning together as a unit. You've got to create a system in which everybody works for each other. Everybody's in service of each other. In addition to, to teaching, I do some, some strategic consulting and I'm working with a client now. It's a coalition of coalitions. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really sort of an aha moment for them when they realized they weren't working in parallel towards a coincidentally shared goal. They were supporting each other. They're working in service of each other and in service of a larger goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So in football, it's not in American football. It's not, you know, Brady, the quickest guy, you know, downfield at a big guy at the back It's how do we construct a line in front of Brady that creates the space necessary into which receivers can run to create the time for Brady. Right. So you actually create a system into which you then put players. If you just have stars, you might succeed, but you're not going to win all the time. Mm-hmm. A great example is actually in, in Major League Soccer. Last season, uh, the LA Galaxy was star-studded. Yeah. Uh, Ibrahimovic was there. Ibra, who... Zlatan. Yeah. Zlatan. Who's, by autobiography, he's called I Am Zlatan. <laughs> and he, when, he, when he showed up, he famously took out a full-page ad in the LA Times saying simply, Los Angeles, you're welcome. You're welcome, right. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. But DC United, which had a terrible first half of the season... Uh, stormed into the playoffs. They were a, a frightening team to play against. And it wasn't just Wayne Rooney. It was a couple of guys you've never heard of and a system that was working together, right? It wasn't get Wayne Rooney the ball. It was create some space for Lucho, let Ariola run in behind, have Canals backing it up. And they, you know, they had one guy anybody's heard of and they did better than the Galaxy that was full of people. people. Yeah. Though, just digressing for a second, you know, two most memorable Plays of the year in MLS. First oh, one was Zlatan's first touch. Holy cow! In his goal <laughs> from 35 meters out or 40 meters out, which is yeah. classic is Ibrahimovic. Yeah. And then Rooney working back on that crucial game, working back, running back to midfield, stripping last man on an open net, stripping, stripping the the attacker of the ball, and putting a. 50-yard pass on the head of Lucho to put it in the back of the net. I mean... Yeah, he found a, like a guy who's 5'4 in sneakers <laughs> and put a ball on his head. 5'3, five, five, as I was on the roster chart, by the it's way. 5'3 in sneakers. <laughs> it's, but again, that the speaks to it wasn't Rooney be Rooney. It was, here's a guy who busts his tail for, for the team. The team. Exactly. There's, there's all these stories about Rooney not being, I am Wayne Rooney here to save you, but I'm one of the guys. And... and You've seen them all in the press, um, and as far as I know, they're true. Things like in, in England, you travel by you know charter jet, you get your own hotel room, and it's all very posh, right? Major League Soccer doesn't have that kind of money. For the first time in his life, Wayne Rooney had a roommate. And he said, that's right, I'm going to have a roommate. 
because I am on the team. Mm-hmm. When, when he showed up in D.C. for training in the first time in the middle of the summer, it was really unpleasantly hot in Washington as it, as it gets here in the summer. The team was on the road. So Rooney's first um, practice sessions were with the youth academy, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, some of whom might play college ball, one of whom might ever play pro. And they must have been That's blown who, away to have him there. Oh, of course. But then after practice, and they're practicing at, at RFK Stadium, which is a dump and a mm. terrible. After practice, Rooney is walking around picking up the cones. And somebody from the team says, you don't have to do that. We've got guys who do this. No, no, no. Practice is over. You have to pick up the cones. Like that speaks volumes about who he is. And then other players want to play for him and with him. Right. Because he says, I'm not Wayne Rooney giving the ball. He says, I am proud to be part of a team and a system that was adjusted to meet Wayne Rooney. And together, we're going to make each other better to win. Well, I want to get back to this concept of, of working for people as a team, because this is, this is part of an ethos in sales that, that people don't really grasp. I mean, I was fortunate enough to work in some environments early in my career where that really existed, right? I mean, you, you might have had another salesperson next to you, but we would do whatever we could to help that person because – brought the company forward and and we see sort of less of that but i want to go back to this kevin payne quote that you have in the book because because you write that organizational success used to look like american football sort of command and control today it looks like soccer and you have this quote from kevin payne who was past president of the or ceo of the of the dc united saying quote american football offers innumerable opportunities to stop play evaluate situations and recalibrate responses but increasingly, that approach is less and less relevant to the dynamic changes in business and or society. The rules are being written every day and every hour, and the ability to quickly adapt has never been more important. And this thing that's sort of interesting about soccer is that that, and I think a lot of Americans who haven't grown up with that have a hard time appreciating. It's just again how fluid, but um, how much of a system it is. That's you know, it's much less random in some respects than they think. Yeah, it's it's the best teams, the best players um, have a system in which they work, and um, it can get relatively more or less complicated. But everybody knows where they're supposed to be. But it's also everybody solving the problem in the moment. A lot of the folks I talked to for the book, I talked to uh, players at all levels. Uh, Mary Harvey, who won the World Cup with the with the uh, women's national team, she's the goalkeeper. Ben mm-hmm. Olsen, who played in the World Cup. Danny Carbassian, who's the first American who played Arsenal. I'm going to mm-hmm. another sip for my Arsenal Cup now. <laughs> It's like a drinking game. Every time you mention Arsenal, you have to drink. Yeah. I, I like this system. Yeah. The, um, uh, another friend of mine who runs a management consulting firm who is a profoundly mediocre pickup player, like everybody in between. And, and what they talk about is this, if there's a problem on the field, you have to solve the problem in the moment. You can't stop. You can't. There's no timeouts. You only get three no substitutions per game. And you've got to solve it together. Right. And so it is a system, but within that system, You've got to solve it in, in, in real time. You know, if you and your sales team are on a on the road and there's a problem on day two, you could go back to the mothership and say, look, this is this is a problem. We've got to figure something out. That's a huge waste of resources. It's missed opportunities. You're canceling pitch meetings, which you may never get back, mm-hmm. and you're going to lose to a more nimble competitor. Right. Or as a team, you could say, this didn't work. We need three more things to work better. We've got to find a copy shop nearby. So we can run some new collateral. We've got to design a move on the fly. Let's go. And now you have the tools to do that because of portability, you know, your yeah, road technology in general, right? Yeah. Technology in general. So you are a better and more successful sales team 
if you're solving problems in real time in the moment, and not relying on some guy in an office pouring over data to tell you what to do next. Yeah, I mean, an interesting sort of with that is is you look at the composition of a team, and again, this is maybe another lesson from soccer. And and uh, you're right, the, with the exception of the goaltender, everybody is expected to do everything: uh, defenders, midfielders, attack, wingers, so on. Um, so it brings up this issue, of, which I think is one that's that we see played out in sort of larger spheres, is that you know, are we looking to hire? Generalists or specialists, and yeah. and yeah, we and this is an issue that plays out in sales quite a bit. Is is you know, am I looking for the best available athlete, or am I looking for someone that has specific domain knowledge? You know, what's what's easy? It's always the sort of the thing. What's easier to teach, domain knowledge or human skills? And I think in my experience, the answer is both. When I was coming up, um, my training is is in politics, and then a lot of managing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was coming up, you got, that was the division, right? You're either really good at a policy or you're really good at promoting the policy. And everybody had their box. I put the first member of Congress on the internet. You had the online guy. Who was that? It was Sam Coppersmith of Arizona. He had a gopher, uh, which sadly didn't mean gopher information. It was developed by the by University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. Yeah. <laughs> and then Senator Kennedy was second with the uh, website. He was right. Senator Kennedy's first with the website. It was mid early 90s. But then everybody had their responsibility. But now... Everybody's expected to be good at telecommunications policy, writing mail, doing public relations, uh, whatever, but have enough of everything else so they can fill in and back up as needed, right? So I've been brought into leadership positions in part because I know enough about what's going on and can get smart enough, fast enough that I won't get anybody in trouble and I can be helpful. Mm-hmm. My skill set is I'm, I, I prefer to play in the midfield. So I connect ideas, I connect people, and I make things go. Right. And I also know what I don't know, right? It requires a level of humility saying, I am now out of my intellectual depth. I need somebody to come back me up. And others then have to be confident enough in their technical ability. Um, I, at the, in the Obama administration, I was at the Food and Drug Administration, right? So mm-hmm. others have to say, have the comments to say, look, I know way more about um, the chemistry of opioids than you do. I'm going to step in and fill this gap but I'm weak on explaining this to, to policymakers. And then that person and I, then don't, you be, don't just become his or her skill set plus mine, we become together much more potent. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's not, do I want the specialist or the generalist? It's how do I want that ratio to look? And the answer to that goes to your earlier point, which is it depends. And it depends on everybody else around you and everybody else on the team. Because you're part of the system. You're not hiring a person. You're developing a system with people in it. Yeah, and the system doesn't necessarily mean uh, being rigid. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's about compliance or conformity. It's it's a system. It's what, and I think this is this is an issue we've run into in sales quite a bit. Is that one thing automation has enabled is uh, <laughs> more more rigid systems, right? Because there's you're able to track data, you're able to track activities. And you can sort of enforce systems better than you could before because it's just more visibility into what's going on. But what's been lost oftentimes is the, you know, the development of individual strengths, right? So right. you really don't know what that balance is suddenly, I think. And I think part of it is you have, to, you have to find it. Lori Lindsay, who's on the U.S. national team, played in the Olympics, the World Cup, mm-hmm, Washington, mm-hmm. Freedom, Washington Spirit, said when you enter a team, you've got to figure out your place in that team. How can you add to that team? 
right? So you've got to figure out the system around you and where do your strengths and weaknesses play, and it's the team that wins. Gina Carbassian, who from kid from Roanoke who played at Arsenal, who now runs an, uh, an online video game company. Well, unfortunately, yeah, never got his chance because of his injuries. But because his but, injuries, it was really he was the next great. Which is other lessons in there. You know, you're yeah. the next great star, and then suddenly, you know, you're not. He said he quickly learned venture capitalists invest in teams. So he was good at what he did, and he thought that was going to be enough. And he realized that nope, boardrooms are just like locker rooms. I need to. I need a team. So what does the team got? Where are the strengths? And mm-hmm. he developed those quickly, and, and they're they're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So is he's back here in the states, or is he still? He's still over in London. Uh, he runs this online um, company, uh, Player Maker. It's um, online video soccer video game. Got it. And he was doing some scouting for Arsenal. I think he might still be doing some scouting. Okay. Mostly being Danny. He's a great. One of the great parts about writing this book is. People who would never otherwise talk to me returned my phone calls. Yeah. And, and he <laughs> called me a couple of times. And once I get over the, oh my God, somebody from Arsenal is calling me. Uh, really nice, generous, kind guy who um, is comfortable with what he's good at and, and comfortable with what he's not, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, I sort of follow on to the points we were just talking about is, is another quote from the book from Ben Olson, manager of DC United, which I, I really liked, which is, saying the best way to win is to play, he said football, but we'll call it soccer, where everybody expresses his talents. And yeah, I think for managers, that's such a, a potent statement, right? Is, is because I think, again, we're serving this age, not just in sales, we'll see in a lot of places, where people sort of look at the primacy of the process over the people. And I think one of the geniuses of, of Belichick that we talked about before was, Everybody thinks that his process has been the same throughout the years, but it hasn't because he's adapted it to the people he has to let them express their talents become and to do their jobs. And I think this is a point that a lot of managers miss is they think that you know their process, their system is sort of this unbending, unyielding thing, and we're just the people are interchangeable cogs. And especially in sales, it's just the opposite, right? I mean, if you want interchangeable cogs, then hey, let's bring in AI and the robots will sell. <laughs> Um, but if you're willing to be effective is, is yeah. How do we let people express their talents? And I think you do this very well. And this is a point that I'm really glad you, you make a lot to, to your listeners. And that is, is twofold. First of all, it's about the people first. You have to connect on a human level. It's not about cogs in a machine. It's what do you bring? Who are you? Are you a good human being? Are you putting out good in the world? And if so good stuff will happen. And you know, that matters. And the other part is a level of humility. This assumption, we see this with, with Jose Mourinho and some other coaches <laughs> in soccer, is right, is I have the answer and I alone am the oracle, right? And, and you are meat. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen this at consulting firms at which I've worked. Somebody says, no, 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 I've got it. You just go deliver. I know members of Congress who behave this way. And inevitably, uh, members, members of the administration. <laughs> yeah, they're not as successful as they could be. Right. Uh, they don't attract and keep the best talent. The best people, are like, are like Ben Olson, who, who is very clear about what he's good at, but also what he's bad at. And he hires people who make him better because he knows he doesn't have all the answers, mm-hmm. right? He's, if you watch him during practices and games, he's constantly conferring with his assistants, uh, with, with his top players. He and Rooney have a good rapport. He's the decider, right? Nobody's questioning whether or not he's in charge, but he, is, but he has a level of humility which is also itself ultimately human. And, and I know that that's really important to you and, and your guests, and I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, well, it gets back to this thing that I've 
talked a lot about recently and others have as well. It seems to be actually the New York Times said something about it not that last couple of weeks about the whole Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and and yeah, that is humility. The ability to, be able to recognize your limitations, which if you suffer from the the phenomenon of the Dunning-Kruger effect, you can't. Um, then, yeah, you ultimately put yourself in a position to succeed in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. If you think that, yeah, I know all the answers and there's nothing anybody can teach me, well, yeah, you're going to run into a dead end pretty soon. Yeah, you learn pretty quickly in Washington that if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're either in the <laughs> wrong room or yeah. you're wrong. Or you're wrong, yeah. You're wrong. Well, it's usually that you're wrong. Yeah, I learned that first day of college, right? You right. come out of high school, <laughs> right. you think, right. I'm the smart, you know, I'm in this oh, yeah. great school. You show up in the first day like you're calling home. Oh, my God, these people are so much smarter than I am. Yeah. <laughs> that is every day of my life. And I yeah. teach at the university. I think, wow, these students are. One of the most powerful teaching tools I ever learned, which is also a management tool, is from um, the an amazing professor at Emerson College, which is where mm-hmm. I went. And Walt Littlefield, sadly, tragically passed away a few years ago. Home of... Uh... Henry Winkler went to Emerson. Henry Winkler, Jay Leno, Stephen Wright, the creator of, I mean, it's Vin DeBona who was America's Funniest. Well, I, I was at, I went to Vin's wedding and I met. Oh, really? Yeah. Vin and Carrie's wedding. His, was that his most recent wife? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who was a high school friend of my ex-wife. And, really? Yeah, and I'm sure people are fascinated by this. And then, yeah, I was standing in the reception line after the ceremony and there's this extremely short gentleman in front of me. Yeah. And uh, Trump and Henry Winkler, we had a great conversation. So, you, <laughs> my, my, I was Vin's a friend, and he's a former client. I, I lobbied for them, and I did some some strategic communications for them. And Vin, Henry Winkler, my wife and I were all at an event. And I introduced my wife, whose name is Zoe, to Henry Winkler. Says, so, "Oh, my daughter's name is Zoe. She's a teacher. My wife works with Head Start centers." And I, Vin DeBona, and I just simply ceased to exist. It yeah. was all Henry Winkler, my <laughs> wife, his daughter. Um, at any rate, at any rate, Walt's um, great insight as a professor was, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you said he's spending a ton of money. It's eight in the morning. You know, like, what do you mean you don't know? And it's this, it's like, look, I, I don't know. What do you think? Let's figure this out. And as a manager, I use that. As a professor, I use that. And I think the best coaches use that. No, I agree. Absolutely. All right. Well, Peter. It's been fantastic talking to you. I look forward to, to doing this again. Um, that would be great fun. And uh, seeing a soccer match. Come on down to DC United. And um, thanks. And I really, I've got to say, I've enjoyed listening to to your podcast and the focus you really put on. Well, thank you. On the, on the importance of people being real life people and human beings. And it's okay to have conflict if you manage it well and recognize that you're solving a problem together, not you know, trying to prove who's the most macho and really in service of it's, it's really ought to be in service of being better people. And if we yeah. make a lot of money and succeed along the way, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. It's but a, as one of your, one of your guests pointed out, um, it's success depends on where you, where you put the goal line. So yeah. What are you doing? Well, for me, it, it, from the beginning of my career working in technology fields where I was a history major and knew nothing, but, you know, knew enough to know, as you said, what I didn't know and and the help I needed. And, you know, throughout my career, working with increasingly technical products uh, until I started my own company, where the product was me, which was the easier, easiest product to sell. Um, but, yeah, prior to that, it's it was all about making connections with people because I, I wasn't the subject matter expert. And why should these people be spending time with me? So, yeah, uh, that was just a lesson that was drilled into me through the, my own successes and failures in the field. So, 
Yeah, I appreciate the words. Thank you very much. And thanks for the opportunity to join you and your listeners. I look forward to uh, continuing to listen to your to your well, podcast you. and hearing your wisdom. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Peter Loach. Join me again next week as my guest will be Ethan Butte, Ethan's VP of Marketing at BombBomb and co-author of a new book titled Rehumanize Your Business. And we're going to talk about how to use video to connect on a human level with your prospects and customers as an effective alternative or supplement to the mass outreach you might be doing or in the course of working a deal, how to really help your buyer make progress toward their goal of making a good purchase decision. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House, your all-in-one sales growth engine for B2B sellers. Visit thesaleshouse.com. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.